Hello, you're now listening to the Modem Podcast, where we deconstruct, examine, and discuss deeply technical data networking and information technology topics. Sit back and relax while we fire up Dial D and the 9600 baud Modem and connect to the Wildcat BBS. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Modem Podcast. Uh, about a year ago, we had a uh, conversation or a series of us yelling back and forth at each other about what the heck is a tunnel uh, that was spawned by, you know, some Twitter, random Twitter thread. And that was one of our more popular episodes. And so because we want to keep giving the people what they want, we're going to talk about a topic that I think is very hotly contested, at least within this room and very likely within the internet at large and that topic good friends is qos or quality of service quas 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 it's a polish malt beverage with us today to hash this out and i'm guessing probably dogpile on me that they all hate it is a who's who of uh Let's just say strong personalities. <laughs> uh, I think degenerates might be more appropriate. Degenerates works. It does. It really does. I mean, it could be more than one thing. Okay. I don't hate it. I just don't think it exists. Oh, we're already getting oh, I hate it. So, I hate it. <laughs> haven't even done so intros. We're, we're already getting heated. We, we've got a. We've got a. We've got a, a larger crowd than normal. Uh, this time we have myself, Nick Baraglio. Uh, we have Chris Cummings. How you doing, Chris? Yeah. Eh. We have Chris Young together. They are the crises, as we've established in prior episodes. How you doing, Chris Young? Fantabulous. Well, I, could, I couldn't hear you. You broke up there. I think maybe you need uh, to turn on QoS on your network, Chris. <laughs> I'm doing it. You know, in post-processing, I'm going to edit like packet loss noises to everything you say whenever I disagree with you. <laughs> We well, also have. You can't turn it on. I do have queuing and classification turned on. Introductions haven't even finished. We haven't even finished. We're already in it. So we also have Jay Stewart, who is a, a very well experienced hey, uh, New Yorker with the service provider technologies. And of course, who I would say is probably the voice of reason, but I think in this case will not be uh, that will not be an accurate description. Is uh, John Osmond? How are you guys both doing today? Just, just okay. Just I'm, okay. I'm barely here, but <laughs> well, you're here. Just wait. Funny. We're gonna have some. We're gonna have some some brain melting. I think so. Okay. So since we're already at each other about this, let's give. Let me give the listeners what I would describe as QoS. I would say that QoS is a mechanism for ensuring certain uh, delivery policies. It's a framework for ensuring traffic classification and, and delivery policy. Um, it's easy enough what to do you agree with that. That's easy to agree with, but I think I'd turn it around the other way. It is deciding which pieces you want to throw away when you don't have a big enough network. I think you can choose to be wrong and define it like that. I like you. (laughs) It is an umbrella term that in and of itself is meaningless to describe a 
like like cloud, like routing, right? It is a term that doesn't really describe anything, but but in and underneath it has a group of tools like queuing, classification, marking, link fragmentation, interleaving, congestion avoidance, right? Those tools, those things all exist underneath this umbrella of which we in the industry seem to be calling this thing QoS, but in and of itself is a meaningless term because I don't know anybody anymore who would be doing LFI, right? Link, link, link fragmentation interleaving was a technique to get big chunky packets broken up so you could get little voice packets in and frame relay, right? No one's doing it anymore, but it's underneath the QoS umbrella. So Chris Young, has been waiting. Chris Young has been waiting like 10 years to flex his voice CCIE again. <laughs> this is just one of those things that, that people act like, oh, so do you support DiffServe? And I'm like, what, is, what does that even mean? Are you asking me if I can do .1Q, like code points? Awesome. Yes, I can do it. But if you haven't actually configured any queuing, does it matter? What have you actually done? So if I were to have a definition myself, I would say that QoS is kind of an umbrella term, like kind of like what we're saying here. I, I think we're mostly in agreement here. It's an umbrella term for a lot of things, but it may or may not have the most rigid of definitions. However, the ITU does actually define QoS. So there are standards around what QoS is defined by the International Telecom Union. Uh, it's a recommendation E.800. You can look it up. So e. it is a thing. Nerd. Yeah, I, I, looked, so, I googled it while Chris was talking because I wanted to prove him wrong. <laughs> if Mr. Cummins knows what this is, he should he should tell us a little bit more and kind of summarize exactly what that ITU recommendation talks about. Yeah, so the ITU uh, recommendation specifically just says that it's the totality of characteristics of a telecommunications service that bear on its ability to satisfy stated and implied needs of the user of the service. So I can already see where this talk's going, and I think we're going to so say it's a Microsoft definition, technically sure, correct, but totally but useless. I mean, it's a standards body saying what it is, right? And I, so, I mean, to me, QoS is basically running a network that runs at the right speed. And I've, I've been a long time proponent of saying that networks run at two speeds. I don't think that gigabits matter. I don't think terabits per second matter. I don't think megabits per second matter. I think they run at two speeds, which is fast enough and not fast enough. Um, I think I stole that from somebody, probably from Ethan. But uh, like, I really think that that's important. And I think QoS is just kind of another it's an umbrella term for kind of the tools in your belt that you can use to help make sure that, you know, your network is dropping things when it needs to, because I, I we had Dave taught on here uh, a while back. Uh, we've had him a few times, but one time specifically to talk about buffer bloat. And uh, one of the big things we talked about was how packet loss can be a good thing for a network. Um, and I think for me, the most success I've ever had deploying QS technologies in a network was around just, you know, figuring out what gets dropped first, which I think is what John said earlier. So when you have a limited pipe, which you always have a limited pipe, you know, you have to make a decision around what gets dropped when that gets saturated. And and to get like into the nitty gritty weeds, like the clock speed of like uh, Serdaz doesn't change based off how much is going through like an actual interface. I think a lot of people don't actually get that. Like, or maybe they just haven't thought about it, especially when you're newer in the, in the industry. Like, when, when you send traffic at 100 gig port, it's going at 100 gigabits per second. Like, even if it's just a one byte packet, right? It's going as fast as possible. And so, like, you will run into all sorts of fun stuff with that, like serialization delay. And, and there's just, like, a lot of stuff. So, long story longer, when you're running a network, especially with mixed speeds and things like that, you need to make conscious decisions about what gets dropped first 
Otherwise, the network devices are going to do it for you. So you are always running some form of QoS on your network, I would I would posit. Maybe it's just the default that your device decides to draw packets on first. The question is, do you want to be able to control that as a network engineer, or do you just want to leave it out there? That's my long ramble. So yeah, I FIFO think... is, that's a choice. Yeah. Sure, and that is a, that is a queuing mechanism, right? The first in, yeah. first out. But I think it's important to sort of take apart something that you touched on, Chris Young, is that this is a suite of tools. And, I, and something that's really important is that when you say QoS, depending on who you're saying it to, they're going to have a very, they could potentially have a very different uh, idea of what you mean. Like if you say QoS to someone that is an end user or whatever, that may be kind of sort of prosumer, technically savvy, they're going to think, my CPE and I turn on smart queuing and that's QoS for me and that should solve all my problems, right? On my USG or whatever it is that I'm working on. And that's probably going to be something really different if you, uh, uh, you know, a different interpretation if you say it to somebody like myself or to Jay or to John, right? Who works in the backbone space, right? I'll never forget uh, the one time that I would say I've like, successfully used QoS to my advantage uh, that my manager at the time then said, wait, why don't we just do that for all the traffic? Like this is working so well for voice and video. Like you can actually make phone calls over this horrible satellite link. Like, why don't we turn that on for everything? I was just like, <laughs> I have failed. Everyone's in the VIP line. Exactly. Then there's no VIP Everyone line. Special. There's no one special. You may feel yeah. better about yourself on the red carpet, but you're still waiting. Yeah, so, it's it's I like think, the AS path prepending on in BGP. Like I I, I threw on twenty uh, prepins. It it didn't it didn't affect the inbound traffic to me, but maybe that twenty first one that'll do it. I believe in it. What's Jay got? So I think I think QoS makes sense. I mean, to be forward about it and operationally aware of it when you're on long skinny networks like satellite communications. Like Chris, your professional experience speaks as to why you need it. Right, you have satellite uplinks or satellite connectivity at some remote mine in Mexico or Alaska, right? Like you have 40 plus users on that network and you've got one point megabits to deal with. Of course, QoS is going to be perfect in that regard. But I feel like as network operators, we should not be lazy about this. And QoS is just an interim solution to what should be a growth mindset for your network, right? You always yeah, want to look at yeah, go ahead, John. Jay, I was just going to say, Jay, that you're absolutely right there, but you have to remember that the entire the entire purpose you're doing at that point is, hey, what am I throwing away? Obviously, I've got yeah. too much stuff here going out. Th more things are showing up. They're showing up faster than I can shove them out. The, you know, the serialization delay is long enough that things are piling up, getting ready to leave. So I'm going to look at that pile up, and I'm going to go figure out which one is more important and let it through first, and you know, as you said, the VIP lane. Uh, but there's also the losers on that. They're either going to lose in higher latency, or they're going to get lost by the fact that they're thrown out because they've been sitting around too long. So QoS really comes down to which of my traffic is not important enough to let it go through the way it was going to go through. Yeah, I also, I also it, think it's a lot more nuanced. Then, then it's you either have enough bandwidth or you don't. I mean, that's true, but it's also, you know, how do you deal with bursty traffic? How do you make sure that you have, um, you always have 
your control plane protocols available. You know, what, bursty traffic is a really is a, is a killer, right? So you can have a hundred gig circuit, and that hundred gig circuit might be great ninety nine percent of the time. That one percent of the time that it isn't great, and there may be somebody, uh, you know, overloading it. What happens then? If you have nothing in place, then you know BGP goes down. ISIS can't maintain an adjacency. Then it's a bad day, and all your cellular traffic goes away, or whatever, right? And and, and, and I think that's really important—a distinction that that needs to be made. I'm I, I di- I'm disagreeing with you guys though that it is not about dealing with congestion when it happens. It's also about avoiding congestion before it happens and being more efficient. Right. And and specifically what you're talking about is um, red, right? Weighted random um, explicit discard. Right. Is that what that stands for? I mean, I wasn't wasn't even going that deep. I'm just talking about making sure. As as an implementation, right. And and to kind of go back as as network operators, yeah, we have to operate from a growth mindset, but you have to operate within the constraints of the business. And the business, what the business always wants is for you to be able to provide the most efficient service possible. So for anyone who's ever seen a network without something like red on it, go through TCP global synchronization, right? This is really, really a bad day, right? When TCP does its thing and it just keeps sliding the window up and you know, eventually you are going to get into a situation where everybody speeds up at the same time and then everybody backs off and you end up this, this beautiful sine wave on your network. And you can avoid that by using techniques like red Right. We do have to be professionals and understand, you know, the the weighted in red is being able to identify by ACLs as well, who's who is available. So this is your John, your managed unfairness, right? Which ones don't I care about explicitly? Because there are some things that I they, they just can't handle any packet loss at all. So me throwing away a packet is a bad thing. Right. But but there is there's ways of being more efficient and from a networking perspective when when TCP global synchronization happens, your good put just it's in the toilet, right? So if you just okay, Chris, would you argue that's changing now with the introduction of new TCP congestion control algorithms, right? Cubic, Reno, we have those. Then we have BBR coming on stage, which makes a more efficient use of congestion when it occurs. Uh, it's what is it? Not additive increase, multiplicative decrease. I would say uh, that potentially, but um, in this is one of those things that great we have in certain smaller environments that it's going to work. But if I have to make any changes to the TCP stacks of machines across the world, there's a point where you just it's lowest common denominator. I think that's why network-based QoS is you know something that's often reached for right is because sometimes you can't like necessarily implement uh, the client-side protocol that might be able to take better advantage of a like long fat pipe and things like that. And that's why, like most things, it just gets shoved down to the network because higher layers can't deal with it. Right. Just like security. uh, I mean, just like the complexity with stretching layer two across domains. Like I I feel like QoS definitely suffers from some of that. But I mean, back to Nick's earlier point about, you know, when you have those bursts of traffic, I think it's important to point out that you always have those bursts of traffic. Like there is no state where you don't have those bursts because traffic does not flow like it looks like in your SNMP graphs. Like those SNMP graphs are over time and any bandwidth that you look at is averaged over time. And so it is always coming in at full speed. And so if you have 
200 gig ports going down to one 100 gig port, right? And you only have 50 gigs of traffic coming in both. They're both coming in at 100 gigabits per second, just spaced out over time. And because of that, you have that's why you have to have buffering. And that's why you have to be able to like deal with what happens if and when those buffers fill up, because you can't always buffer all of that. And that's where I think QoS steps in. One point I want to make is I think a lot of the microbursts, you know, detection of it problem in itself has been torn away because of, you know, data centers have stri strictly moved to clove fabrics, right? That now servers have enough uplinks and they're lagged and they're multi-home to multiple servers, right? We have eVPN in the data center that I feel like microbursts are no longer a thing in that space for competently oh, deployed DC. I, I highly disagree. Even like with, I mean, look at the top of rack switches that are out there on the market. Like if you have a 48 port, 25 gig switch, right? Let's just do the math. Like 25, that's 1200. You don't need to do math. If I've got three servers sending traffic to one server in the same CLO non-blocking network, yeah. you've still got oversubscription. Yeah, you always have oversubscription, even in a cloth fabric. Like, But I was told that oh. Kubernetes and load balancers <laughs> and cloud native... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, there's a specific brochure I have on my desk that says this is fixed. It'll solve so the it microburst. Took, it, took us, it took us 17 minutes to get the word out that I really wanted somebody to say that wasn't me. And that is oversubscription. Yep. And oversubscription in the service provider space is literally the way you make money. Oh. Right? So Chris earlier said, Chris Young said something earlier that businesses want to deliver the best experience or whatever it is. And I would amend that statement. I think it's a true statement, but you left I, off the most important most part. Efficient. Most efficient. Most efficient. But you left off the most important part of that. They want to deliver the most efficient uh, service, product, whatever, for the least amount of money. Yes. And so oversubscription is how that happens. And because service providers are oversubscribed by the definition, you have to have something in place that controls what is discarded and what isn't. And to first order, you never want your network control pro protocols to be discarded because that breaks literally everything else that comes in behind them. So you have to have something there that says, okay, well, you know, my control plane is always prior. Isn't that what your out of right? band network is for? <laughs> well, that's how you get in and fix it by shutting down the abusers. And let me tell you, let me take you on a journey. <laughs> take you on a little bit of a journey here. <laughs> so one, 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 one point I think ago. Oh, go ahead I was just going to say one point I think is journey. <laughs> I'm going to talk about the advent of SD-WAN and make everybody cringe equally on this call but I mean hasn't that helped what is effectively one provider providing a circuit where everything is delivered, tagged, marked you know scheduled as, as required to just give me two fat dumb pipes give me one yeah, tunnel that so multi-pass over both of them it right. allows you to implement your own QoS on top of a network you don't control the underlay on. That's all it's done. Like it's still QoS at the end of the day. And so you can't just say QoS is gone because it's SD when you don't understand how it's doing it now. Like it's still doing it. It's just hidden from you. And like it's it's lipstick on a pig, right? You still have an uh, probably oversold service provider underneath that you can just schedule inside of a tunnel. And if we want to know what a tunnel is, there's another podcast <laughs> that we did like a year ago where we argue about that. I'd Are just like to point out, I'm not the one who said the word SNMP. 
Oh, that's right. I, I was did. waiting. I man, I was waiting. It took you two minutes. I watched it. It was two I'm, minutes from the. I'm just, no, it was three minutes. Sorry, it's three minutes. Are, are you guys all telling me that we haven't all worked on you know big cloth fabric that are end to end, non blocking, big fat tree stuff where you're shoving DMA to uh, DMA on another <laughs> machine? Yeah, I mean, we we moved to packet switching for a reason. Like, it's because you cannot have like non oversubscribed networks. Like, it does not scale. Like, that's why we moved away from circuit switching, and that's why when you like when we're talking over this uh, this web app, that's why there's not a f- bunch of physical relays connecting uh, our electrical signals together, right? That's why it's all packet switching. So switch. having StatMux gain means we must have Quas. I would say so. I I like you know what happened? Wow, what happened that. there? I'd have to think about that, but I, I mean, I would say so. And and so I think there's, but I think another thing that we maybe are- Having a multi-purpose network carrying different loads with different requirements is what requires us to have tools to implement the umbrella that you guys are referring to as QAS. Right. And that's what we've, but that's what by and large we've made Ethernet at this point. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. You know, so- to, to go back to this journey that I want to take us on, I want to give an example. It's a CCIE of, journey, Nick. What's that? It's, it's not, a no, it is absolutely not a CCIE journey. Um, many years ago, I worked at a broadband service provider um, as the network architect. And one of the ways that we made money um, was to put in, you know, some bandwidth to like apartment campuses and apartment complexes, right? We're super common now, right? But it was pretty rare back then because nobody wanted to pay for ethernet wiring. Well, there were a handful that did and we put them in and this was like around 2000, right? So 22 years ago, we'd put in a handful of T1s. We start with one and then we'd upgrade as they were willing to pay for. But once you hit about three T1s, with, you know, in a multi-link channel, the cost got a little bit too much for a lot of these places and they didn't want to pay anymore. So the problem that they were running into and the reason that they kept having to upgrade was because of a little application called, I think it was called eDonkey was the one that was the worst, right? And so it was a file sharing application, kind of like Kazaa. LimeWire, Kazaa. LimeWire, whatever, right? They're Absurd. all very similar. But eDonkey in particular was very aggressive on the network and it would essentially just peg it and like you couldn't get any other traffic through, right? And so I could get to my router, but I couldn't get to anything else behind that. So what we had to end up doing, because this is an oversold network, you know, you have 100 megabit port in 300 rooms with, you know, uh, what what was that? Let's see, three, 4.5 megabits right? Three T1s. So we had to develop and I developed this uh, BSD based system that would do QoS based on NetFlow data, right? So it would crunch NetFlow data every five minutes and anybody that was abuser got shoved in a lower queue. And that queue had like, it was like a 2B plus D, you know, it was was 1B with no D, right? It was 64 kilobits per second queue. And they would sit in that for, I think, 12 hours or something it was a long time and that would essentially solve that problem but it what it came down to was enabling better overselling of a service by saying this protocol this whatever you're doing on this network is less important than 
whatever everyone else is doing. And I think that is the sort of base description of what I would define QoS as. So like a long-winded way of I saying you implemented shaping with a leaky bucket. Pretty much. Yeah. And now I I will say like, were I a customer of an ISP like that, I would be quite annoyed. Now, it, when it's a more of a managed service, like that makes sense, right? Because you're kind of acting not just as a, a dumb pipe ISP and more as like a managed service provider to provide like actual connectivity for all of the people in this area. Um, Absolutely. And, like, and, I think and we did. We got we were the first level tech support for those people. And, you know, we were basically acting on what the apartment campuses wanted us to do. Like, we yeah. don't want to buy more T1s. Make what you have work. So when people would call in and they would say, I can't do what I want to do. Our answer to that was find another ISP. And I think that's a distinction a lot of people miss here, right? Like as an ISP, like, sure, you shouldn't really be QoSing the individual types of traffic that are going across your network. And that was the whole discussion around net neutrality and blah, blah, blah. We won't get into that because we don't have enough time. But, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty firm believer that, yeah, you should basically treat packets as packets. But there are still some things on your network, even as an ISP, that I think you should prioritize, like your IGP. Like, do you really want somebody running eDonkey? I guess it's 2022. That's not happening anymore. Do you want somebody oh, running email, guys? Email. <laughs> that's right. Email. Yeah. Do you want somebody running LimeWire, BitTorrent, or whatever to be able to like take down your your you know your hello packets from from <laughs> from whatever protocol you're running, ISIS or you know a BGP peering link right over? Uh, uh, like, you need to prioritize those things. It doesn't matter like how big of a pipe you are and. Now, I'm a firm believer that when you are doing QoS, like you probably do need a bigger pipe, but I still am a, I still think that that's a compatible view with there are some traffic types that you will want to prioritize over general traffic no matter what. And you should take that. The, the, those, you should take those actions because if you don't decide which one gets dropped first, something else is going to decide what gets dropped first. And do you want to control that or do you want something else to? I have seen people take take the approach that I'm not going to bother with the configuration complexity. I'm just going to upgrade my network speeds. And there is nothing that throwing money and bandwidth at the problem in general won't fix, right? To, to, to your point, like if you have QoS, I'm not going to say you have a problem. I'm going to say that you're well-engineered, right? And perhaps like you have other constraints. Your constraints might not be if they're, if they're money, if they're um, right now, actually it's receiving gear, right? Can you even, if you ordered something today, could you even get it delivered to you, right? So you're going to have to, you're definitely going to have to make these choices. And there are good reasons to do that. Like Nick, you, you brought me back to days at a, at a customer admin where if I took away their access to Napster, oh my Lord, you can't even imagine. But if I happened to police it down to, you know, 20K of bandwidth for the entire network where it would kind of connect, but nobody could really download anything, I could go, it's the internet. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I fully admit it wasn't optimal. But so to go back to what you said about just adding, there's nothing that more bandwidth and hardware can't fix. That's a true statement. But I think that is a very narrow view because that's a it's a very North American view of things, right? Where it's much easier to get that that stuff. However, that's even even back then that wasn't always the case. Like, you know, where I was, it, you know, it's there's a major R one university here, but getting bandwidth providers, transit providers was shockingly difficult. Huh? Like, I could not get more bandwidth. Like, it took me a year to upgrade 
you know, to, uh, you know, another DS3 from another provider because they literally had to build out from Chicago to down here, which is three hours away. I suspect John Osmond has very similar problems where yeah, we had you have a months. limited lumber. Yeah, yeah. It was 18 months to get anything put together because you had to, they had to build the fiber to you. And 18 months right. was the earliest they could do anything. And, and, and guess and- what? The sales team isn't going to stop selling services. Exactly. Right. They're going to keep selling things. So and, you and have what? to be able the to The fact make that more both reflect. fibers come into the same pop isn't that doesn't work for your redundancy strategy? <laughs> well, and even if you can upgrade your links, right? Like what if you're on the the edge of uh, of what is capable? for for transmission speeds like what if you're doing 400 gig handoffs to your customers like then any customer has the ability to swamp any given backbone link in your network you still need to decide what is getting dropped there or else it will get decided for you so even if you upgrade to the highest like right now you can't get a 100 gig ethernet right it's it's almost there we're really really close to it but I don't know of anybody actually running 800 gig Ethernet today in a network. And now maybe that is the case, but we're, we're right on the cusp. But take a day 100 gig, right? There's always a, a, a maximum limit for what uh, your port speeds can be. And so, you, like, there's only so far that upgrading it can go. So, like, I've definitely I been on. I totally disagree. Totally disagree. Okay. Well, I mean, it's 800 plus, like, 800 to 800 is one to one. Like, you, like, take take it 1.6 terabit links, right? Like, how how do you. Like, how do you not overcome that? Like, how do the, how does, if they're equal links, how can they not overrun each other, right? I'm guessing that your answer is going to be at a second 800. Boom! And, and guess what? And what guess if you what? don't, what if you don't have the capacity for that? Even what if, if you do. All these things are solved with money. All of it. Literally. No, not. Yes, what about are. the hashing algorithms, right? What, what about the laws of physics? ECMP lags. BCP have hashing algorithms that 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 very much have impacts on these things, right? And you're so still going to end up with a pin scenario over? where you're over one yeah. link. Yeah. Do you want one of your lab members to go over because you've killed uh, LACP with a single flow? Because you have a if you have a one to one link size on your backbone, even if it's in aggregates, with what you're handing off to your customers, you need you need it. Uh, so I think I, I think if we're talking about liter- the literal bleeding edge of any available client side Ethernet connections, we also can talk about the applications that are using said connections. And there's a lot of magic. We got EBPF coming out. There's a lot of magic that you could do with hash rating or hash hash division you. on these uh, on the servers or the clients. But but do you like realistically does that happen? Like, do you know of anyone that's like actually going and and taking eBPF to like overcome LACP hashing algorithms and making sure that they have the right entropy labels and bits like that to like no, make sure I think, Yeah, so no, I don't. But I think I'm making the argument that the hypothetical that you're proposing is in, in actuality it would never occur. Well, if I am if I am stuck where an 800 gig link is causing my business to slow down. I'm going to have the money to tell you, fix it. What I if it's care. a 10 gig, right? What if you, what if you, what if you are a small provider that 10 gig is, it might as well be the Autobahn, right? It's a ridiculously <laughs> fast speed and that's all you can get. I can get one 10 gig service from one provider in my area. And the next best thing is maybe a one gig and there's no infrastructure to upgrade either of those once you get to them. That's a very common scenario in rural broadband 
is that you just can't get more because the, the middle mile providers don't have any more. And they may have an upgrade path and that upgrade path might be two years from now. Like, I, I agree that money solves everything, but that's a really hand wavy Sure, if I have unlimited money, I can, you know, have someone grab wings onto my back and fly around the neighborhood. But I think that that while that may be true, and there may be, you know, big providers that are able to do that, I think the the cases where that is not even on the table as an option are significantly more. Well, those rural yeah, areas those rural areas you end up in this bimodal area in distribution where you end up with, I don't have enough, I don't have enough bandwidth to do this. And the next time you get the big upgrade, you have for all intents and purposes, infinite bandwidth for the next business cycle until you run into that again. That was in the, in the rural areas when we would pipe a T3 into a town, all of a sudden it's like, good God, there's 28 times the speed we had before. And everybody that comes up says, here, I want this. And you hand it to them and you're still left with, you know, three quarters of your bandwidth left. So yeah, there, there's, I mean, there's some areas where the timing is bad and yes, I'm going to say you need QoS during those times in order to be able to work your way through that. But as you step up into that next level, all of a sudden, you know, it, it's infinite bandwidth world again. And that right. is true for the majority of places. The people that are getting pinned down right now with 800 gig flows, they're not normal. Yeah. So here's a real world example, right? Like I have a one gig fiber to my house, right? So does my neighbor. So do all my neighbors. In yeah, this you're real world. And, and we have a 100 gig um, uplink from, the, you know, the, the place where all the pond comes in. That's uplinked at 100 gig. That's easily saturated. Right. With all the people, there's more than a hundred people that have this service because that that pop covers my town and the next town over, right? Which are each about six thousand, seven thousand people. So that could easily be overwhelmed by, you know, a hundred people doing full line rate. And I can get line rate pretty much whenever I want. So it's not to say that anybody else couldn't do that. If they didn't have something in place to make sure the control protocols were there, then that would be that would be a problem. Right. Yeah. So I, I do think that it's, it's a necessary thing. I think I, will, there, I think there's one instance where it's not necessary. If you can guarantee that your backbone links, like in a typical provider network are of a faster line rate than, than your client rates, client links, and you have no oversubscription. Right. So if it's not a one-to-one -one, or if you're not oversubscribed at all, right then sure, you don't need QoS and that's fine. Like it'll work just fine. And frankly, if you're at some level of oversubscribed, it'll still work fine because your hello timers have, you know, maybe you only have to miss three in a row, right? Things like that. Like it, it, it's not like a hard and fast rule, but the fact is like you will be dropping your control traffic and things like that if you don't have some form of QoS in that scenario. And the only scenario in which that doesn't happen is when your, your links are bigger than your client links and you are not oversubscribed in any way with the number of client links. Sure. So but lack of oversubscription, which is almost no network. I actually, I think it's probably no, I've never seen a network. I think we've already defined. You can't be not oversubscribed. Yeah. I, I've never seen a network that's oversubscribed and I, and I 
I still posit that, yeah, with a packet switch network, like it's pretty difficult to be even in a non-blocking switch. John's you have multiple servers. Yeah. Send the same server with a 56k modem attached to it. No, no, no. I've seen networks that were not oversubscribed, but they were very expensive and they were very special case. I I would argue that even they, the network itself may not have been oversubscribed, but any individual port on the network, any link could still be oversubscribed. You could have non-blocking switches, but even if I have a non-block switch, multiple ports all sending to the same target, you're now in an oversubscribed situation. So I want to shift gears here and I want to talk about something that almost requires QoS, right? So we've talked about the service providers, We've talked about, you know, basically making sure that we have control plane class of service in place. What happens when I have a customer that is willing to pay more money to have an SLA and that SLA comes with a bandwidth guarantee? How do you deal with that? Because that's a very common thing in large service providers and even some small ones too. I know what I've done in the small service provider world. When people have demanded SLAs, I have told them that I will charge them double. I will charge them double in price, and I will I will um, set up a way for them to get refunded up to forty five percent of what they pay on any given month, and I will treat them exactly the same way that I would treat every other outage on this network. And for some reason, no one has ever taken me up on that one. But then they've complained that they didn't get an SLA, but I offered them one. Yeah, so in my opinion, uh, SLAs don't guarantee anything. They give you a course of retribution, right? Exactly. They're, they're, they okay. are there so for you. It, it is a course, course of retribution trying to get that money from the Yeah, provider. it's like sandpaper. It's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> so let's take the term SLA and just kind of just discard that. What if you need to guarantee a bandwidth level over a you know, series of links? What if, what if I have something that requires this amount of bandwidth all the time without having interruption outside of fiber cuts or whatever, the things that are outside of your control, right? How do you do that? Because that will always come up. Now, I'm, I'm saying this is a hypothetical, right? Because the first thing that I would do is push back and say, why do you need that? Like, what's the use case? Blah, 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 blah. Because that's what a you know a reasonable engineer would do is try to understand what they're trying to accomplish. But let's just say all that is defined, and it doesn't matter why. Maybe it's compliance. Maybe it's whatever. Right? Maybe it's life safety. They have to have this. How do you I, deal with that? I, I turn the QoS knob and uh, turn it on. <laughs> I, I I just type in uh, you know router QoS and then you're done. I think it's that. Does easier. it go up to eleven? Does that not oh, yeah. go up to eleven? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it router MLS first and then QoS? Oh. <laughs> nice. But yeah, no, I think like that is where you know you do have to get into the QoS realm, and sometimes you have to do that. Like, uh, I mean, I have worked on 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 networks where there are safety requirements around both latency and uh, and bandwidth guarantees, and yeah, like there's not really other way around it. We, we've done dedicated networks for it, right, to reduce the just yep. the risk of things, but we still had to run QoS on it. Uh, yeah. yeah, I've literally seen still, parallel life safety networks. Your They're point though, Nick, parallel. around having to understand the application and, and actually still be like, let's still be masters of our craft. Um, I have had situations where I had the canonical, I have a bronze 
um, silver from a customer perspective, you know, platinum MPLS, and we're going to take all our voice, five megs of voice, put it in MPLS, which is like lots, five megs is a lot for voice. Like if you think about it in those terms and everything was great. And then we changed out the core switch and everything just like fell through the toilet. We're like, okay, this is strange. And then we get a, a bill from the telco saying you've exceeded your, your SLA as far as bandwidth you're sending to this five meg link. And um, so we went back and kind of looked at it. And as it turns out, we had been mismarking. Well, and by we, I'm, I'm using, it's not me. I didn't do this. I inherited this. They'd been mismarking the voice for the last two or three years. So all of the voice traffic was going into the lower class bronze class. So when we fixed it and put, you know, the right DSCP code point on it that got mapped into the right MPLS service, at that point, like apparently we had been sending seven mega voice traffic for the last three years. No one noticed. But as soon as we configured it correctly, the telco showed up with the bill. So I mean, it's it's very much a thing. I mean, th- I mean, this is why SD WAN has taken over is that exact story. But yeah. like. I mean, there are networks where you have to like if you're running voice, uh, which eh, how many people are really doing that these okay. days? I, it's I think it's SD WAN, you just said SD WAN fixed this. SD WAN didn't fix this. Well, it it, it addressed fix was we had more than one pipe that was big enough to hold all the traffic, and then somebody did some classification pieces on top of it. Yeah, I'd agree, but I mean, there are there are unique things about SD WAN that that does help this problem, right? When you don't have like so, let's okay, say you I'll give you that. Yeah, like you, when you have <laughs> like when you oh, have a service that doesn't allow you to to mark your packets, right? So it's just general internet or maybe it's a private MPLS like layer 3 VPN service that, you know, it, it's, you have one queue and that's it. Like, you know, you can do packet duplication and you can just throw bandwidth at the problem, right? To guarantee delivery right. or at that's least That's really what SD-WAN yeah. seems to do, right? It allows you to buy bulk traffic you know, bulk bandwidth mm-hmm. at a lower cost mm-hmm. that has all the same problems as everything else, but it's so much less expensive than some managed service that, you know, like has an SLA and has, you know, a guarantee or whatever. And it's delivered via, you know, an L3 VPN or a L2 VPN, you know, over a, a, a different kind of network, probably the same network, but whatever, right. It's a business always, class yeah. service. You can buy these significantly less expensive things, which means you can have more of them. Right. And it's like saying, well, I have, I have, I can always get where I need to go because I have four cars. They're all junk. I'm not yep. saying that a broadband service is junk, but I'm saying I have, I have four cars. And if any given moment, two of them work, I'm fine. And that's really what SD WAN is, right? It's, I've got more cars in the garage that can, I can buy cheaper ones and keep them stored and keep them, you know, pseudo running because I have these things that happen over the top of it because I don't know what's going on underneath. It's the same thing, right? It's just, it shifts the costs around, right? Is now you have this other be, service. I think the reason be on that network, I mean, it brings to mind the idea of the folks that said, you know, once a week I have to get this data from this office, the other side of town, and we need a T3 to do it. And we need, and it was going to be very expensive. And somebody finally just popped up and said, well, why don't we put three copies of it on DVDs and have motorcycle couriers get it across town faster. One of them will get there in time. Is it the, is the network the right answer, or is it the only answer, or is it the only one we look for? What's that? Amazon Snowball. We're still <laughs> doing that. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that is still a thing. 
Yeah. I mean, look at, uh, um, uh, what was it? Arecibo, I think that had to do a bunch of sneaker net stuff when they, uh, when the, before when the- we digress into that though, SD-WAN doesn't fix any of that. What, what actually got fixed is the codec got adaptive and smart. Now the that I would agree with. And the application, right? That what, what Microsoft did with Teams, what Zoom's been doing, where the application will adapt to the environment. That's what allows that to happen because, and you know, as much as we've been talking about as a service provider, what you do with QoS, remember from a consumer perspective, as soon as I hand my QoS, my carefully colored, wonderfully, you know, um, can, what color will I pick? Magenta, magenta, magenta flavored packets. Throw those out to the internet. What do you do with that color? You say, oh, that's a beautiful color and don't do anything with it. You ignore it completely. So, so I, think, Q- I think both Q- happened. I think the codex got smarter. The algorithms got smarter. We got better pipes. Plus SD-WAN actually does work. I know we like to shit on it because it, it is a simplification <laughs> of QoS. But unfortunately, whenever somebody democratizes something, it makes it very easy for people who are, let's say, less than technical to come in and just... I mean, I wouldn't even say it simplifies it. I wouldn't even say it simplifies it, Jay. It just takes the things that we've always done and then adds some extra value on them, like the dust of latency testing, right? And some of us have been doing that forever, but most people have it. And then it just hides it. Like it makes it easy. I think you're downplaying it, dude. I, I think... I think the value, all of the value in SD-WAN is how simplified it is. And it is not saying that isn't the value. I'm saying that is what happened. Like well, it I made it easier. It I don't disagree that SD-WAN is, is, is policy-based routing with a dress-up kit, right? It's, it's really, it's not much more than that, really, you know, but with, depending on the SD-WAN vendor, and, right, yeah. you'll start getting into more of the WAN optimization stuff in there as well. Yes. Um, I think where I kind of start to have problems with it is how it's misrepresented in um, in fixing latency. I'm like that. Sure. It, like it changed the laws of physics. That's cool. Right. Like th- those kinds of things is what drives me a little bit nuts. Voice, again, from a latency perspective, as long as it gets there, it's OK. You can't do anything like and again, this is why voice is hard, because you cannot resend a packet by the time it gets there. It's too late. Right, so you have to, from a codec perspective, you can't ever lose more than two packets. You can only lose one. So the error correction stuff might come in. Like SD WAN has some really cool stuff in it. It solved a lot of operational challenges. I, yeah, and and, and to Jay's I don't think point, it's anything we couldn't have done in the last twenty years. We just didn't. Yeah, and and to Jay's point, like I I, I think that it does simplify things, and I think it does that by moving the complexity into an outsourced manner right so you're outsourcing that complexity to engineers to software engineers basically at you know companies that create sd-wan products and they are now doing a lot of that and frankly that centralization in my opinion to the general case works a lot better than having some grumpy network engineer who's going to sit on a 45 minute podcast telling you no why you don't actually need qos and instead you can just go and buy your sd-wan appliance that actually does the stuff you need it to right and like i think that's why a lot of the stuff is so popular is because is like we can sit here and pontificate all day that yeah well i was doing you know iwan and we may and and i will like i have a fresh pair of grumpy pants on and they are not soiled yet so we have a long time to go like like i can sit here and do that all day but can that be a shirt? Oh, we do need a grumpy pants here. Sure, why not? Can and not spoiled yet. Pants on the modem uh, store. Well, 
My my like, issue is like oh yeah, I don't could. want to be the industry that is just like a bunch of old dudes at the bar, just right. bar flies, just sitting there talking about the yep. way that we once. Because I swear to God, every call that I get on has been like, I remember when I was in 1985, and I, oh my God, I was like, right. okay, I, I don't share that experience. I'm sorry, like that's awesome that that was once a thing, but like the world has gone by outside the fucking window, okay, and it's still going. By. <laughs> look, Jesus, we have terraformed. We have we have people troubleshooting networks who have no business doing it. I am so, so I don't with think you, Jay. anyone's disagreeing with you, Jay. I think that we're all saying that SD-WAN has provided value in that it makes difficult things or complex things significantly more consumable by way more people. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't really care, right? If somebody's willing to pay money for something like that, good for them if it solves their problem. But SD-WAN you know, is awesome, but it's not magic. That's the only well, the I only part I, of of SD WAN well, that I object like, to. It's like Plato's allegory, or, or the what is it, the allegory of the cave, right? To someone yep. configuring DSCP or whatever QoS on the network is like the shadows of the fire, and the engineers turning around, and be like, no, no, someone's just doing finger puppets. But somebody is looking at those sh- those shadows, and they're like, this shit is fucking magic, man. Oh my goodness, I well, love. I, think there's, there's I cannot even begin here. to say how much I love that Jay. I love that. <laughs> That's a great analogy, and you're not wrong. And I, th- but I think there's a couple of different things that are important distinctions here. The first one is, well, we kind of touched on it earlier. Like, it's all about your perspective. Like, from an end user perspective or from an enterprise perspective, they're not running a wide area network, probably. Like, I think the likelihood that they're running like a service provider style WAN is lower than it would be for somebody who's a service provider, right? So they're looking at things that sort of solve those complexities that they don't have to see every day. They're probably more concerned with, does their application work? Like, how is my application delivered? What's my quality? What's my customer's quality? How can I blame this on the network? (laughs) I'm not blaming it on the network. I'm saying the networks, while they all have commonalities, they perform differently based on what they are, right? A wide area network has different requirements than an enterprise network that just connects to a wide area service. Like I need to make sure that I'm not over, you know, oversubscribing a backbone link because I have 10 customers on it. Whereas if I'm an enterprise, I've maybe got one or two transit providers. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm paying for a gig service or a 10 gig service. That's what I expect to get. And, and they if, don't think about what complexities the service provider has to do. That's outside of scope for what they typically see. So QoS is very different based on who you are and what your network looks like. And then you throw this new brand new thing in here, which is called quality of experience, right? Which is like, what are the users? What do the users feel? What are they doing? How which is, is not new. Performing for them. Well, it's a new it's term. Now. I, th- I think the biggest problem that a lot of us have with the SD-WAN and the QoE stuff is that it is now like a marketing darling. Yes. And I think that irritates a lot of us. It does irritate me. Engineers have always worked around some bottleneck someplace. Maybe it's the weight that a single um, rivet can take before the bridge collapses. Maybe it's, oh, gee, can I put one more voice packet across here without you know, causing some type of loss? I mean, it, engineering is about fixing things when there's a bottleneck, and QoS is one of those tools. Oh. If you don't, if you have a big enough pipe, you don't need you don't need to shoehorn things into it. 
Reach. I think my yeah, I think my biggest concern, John, is that a lot of you know we're talking about the capitalistic mindset of use what you have, right? Overuse what you have to the point of burning out optics and people. I I feel like people need to know that QoS is a great interim strategy, but more fiber, more capacity, more bandwidth, more transit connections and contracts. That should always be the answer in the long run. Particularly in the idea where we have a general purpose network where we're shoving, you know, if, if you're a service provider, how many different networks are coming in there and which network decides what's the most important bottleneck to worry about? Is it voice? Is it the video? Is it, the, is it you know, the, uh, um, the link between the CEO's house and, you know, and the office so he can watch what's going on in his doorbell? I mean, each one of them has something different. So from an IP network, you know, we've done too much muxing and we've gotten to the point where there's no real single answer to this. So you can argue so wait a minute. all sides. Wait a minute, John. Are you saying it depends? I'm <laughs> saying that my mantra still remains NAT is evil, QoS is bunk, and there are times in the real world where you use both. This is why yeah, John I mean, is the wise one. He is. He's our, he's our Sherpa. <laughs> but I do think that, that Jay, I don't think that it's one or the other. I think it's not an either or. I think it's both. And you ha- you kind of have to have both because it's always a sliding window. Uh, that's I mean, in the service provider space especially, you're if you're doing regular uh, capacity planning, which you're doing regular capacity planning, right? Because you should be. Even if you're an enterprise, you should be. If you're doing your regular capacity planning, you know when that QoS is going to probably kick in. And so you know when to order more capacity. Like you know when to order another circuit. You know when to upgrade the circuit, whatever, right? And so I think that having that is a belt and suspenders thing, which is something that almost every network engineer is going to go. 12 to 18 months before you need it based on current shipping. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, even the, you know, the supply chain stuff, notwithstanding, even before that, I mean, what, what was the, what I learned is when you get to 60 or 70% capacity, that's when you make the order. That's when you order whatever it is you need. And hopefully by the time it hits 85, you've already got it in place and you're done. There's, there's so much to go into this in the, it depends bucket, right? Are we talking campus networking? Because a campus network in general for a wired Ethernet port in a campus environment on average will use somewhere between 4 to 6% average utilization, right? Wi-Fi is going to be different. Am I talking service provider links? Am I talking my clove fabric? Like all of that is different, right? You get into, um, if we want to get really meta, go back to Javits Paradox, right? Which is um, 1800s guy basically figured out that this paradox, it, by making something easier to consume, people will consume more of it. So he's like, I'm going to make it easy, right? And we think that should apply, but apparently it didn't work with campus networking because we're still like meaningful in a campus. We've been able to, from a chip perspective, be able to have two and a half gig links for, for years, right? Going on more than a decade now. Is anybody using more than a gig? I would argue the majority of campus users from a wired perspective could still actually be running 100 make ports. Oh, yeah. And most are going back to wireless only even. Actually, yeah, yeah. there's a previous job. Wire, the wireless was faster than the wired because we were 100 meg everywhere. 
<laughs> unless you're a paper processing plant and wireless is a non-starter and, and actually wired is a non-starter and it's fiber to the desktop. Again, back to the, it depends, right? Yeah, it's, it's always going to be, it's always going to be, it depends. Everything comes full circle, but oh, that's yeah, not it fun. Always... It yeah, depends, wait, it's like my... a fun killer. Where's my easy answer? I thought that I was going to be strong home. opinions loosely held. Apparently it's SD-WAN. Yes, SD-WAN is the answer. NAT is good and QoS is not bunk. Just like John Osmond said, you, you can quote him. I will, I will kill go you. back. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. If, if we make it a shirt. If you guys don't hear from me on a podcast soon, uh, you know who it was. <laughs> You've been Osmond. <laughs> <laughs> You've been natted. Oh my goodness. I think we've I think we've fair queued this one into the ground. Wow, nice. Second back in fair queue. Yeah. Let's see what I did there. I don't know. Anybody else have uh any any further uh on the QOE thing? Was... It's not new. Sure. No, it's it not, but it's now marketed. Yeah. Like it doesn't it's... mean you don't need it or want it or somebody it doesn't have its use. Moss? was QOE 40 years ago. That's it was a for for people not aware when they see synthetic MOS scores and a mean opinion score. Do you guys actually know how that came about? How those scores came to came about? Was that out of five synthetic ones? No, not the synthetic ones, but like the real real MOS score. Were they non-synthetic at one point? Yes, they were non-synthetic. There was a bunch of people like us sitting around and said on a score to one to five, picking up a phone, how does this one sound? Yeah. That's actually I'm where that comes that. from. I'm unsurprised by that. <laughs> I didn't and, know it, but it's not surprising. And that is why you'll never see a Moss score of five. Because toll quality voice, right? No one, no human being would ever give something a perfect score. I'm going to go and... Uh call up the Nielsen family and be like, get me on. I'm giving a five out here just to prove you're wrong, Chris. <laughs> I said human being, Chris. Oh, dang it. You be he is, he's, a, he's a synthetic. He's yeah, got man, man has a point. Man has a point. <laughs> on that bomb. Android stream of electric sheep. Yeah, do yeah, Android stream right. of electric moss scores. And, we, and I we think... We killed this. We've well, lost this into the let's, ground. Let's, let me bring it all back that, to, I think, what was Jay's point, is there's a point where all of this is just widdly, 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 and all that really matters is the user's perception. Exactly. Right? And that's all that the really, users, yeah. really matters. What did I say at the beginning? The user's there's two perception, speeds. I would say there's also the engineer's requirements, right? Depending on... Again, it depends, right? What's your environment? You may or may not need some of these things. You may need them eventually. You may not need them ever. You may need them on Thursdays. But it, but it is like everything else, as John said, it depends. Know your tools. Say it, but know what they're for. You said it know for where me. to Thank use you. them. You yep. said it in a much more eloquent way. I just, you know, brought out a sledgehammer because, you know, when somebody, as somebody said somewhere, when... When all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a network. Yeah. Right, let's let's kill it. Let's wrap it up. We're at an hour. And uh yeah, I think maybe we can go on with this. We'll see what the see what the listeners think. If they want to hear more of this or not. So if you if you want to hear more about this, hit us up on Twitter. Uh we got the what what is our Twitter handle, Chris? Modem cast or something? 
modem cast I don't even know. Yeah, modem cast at modem cast. Yeah, at modem cast or I'm on Twitter at, at forwarding plane. Chris, where can people find you? Chris Cummings. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at cranky netman. Uh, you can. Uh, that's probably probably the best place. Yeah. Send me a Chris Young. At netman Chris, Chris still kicking around there somewhere. Cool, which, cool. which was not a gender reference. It was for network management back in the day, but ah, S and I assume. <laughs> All right, Jay, where can people find pull. you? Should they want to? Uh, at Dreaders Two is my handle. Twitter. Uh, probably need to change that. LinkedIn, just so I can uh, like my old boss's comments passive aggressively, and uh, that's about it. And assign random skills to with, people you hardly know. No, no yes. punches pulled as usual. John, where can you find you? you? You can certainly try at John Osmond with Twitter, but I have no idea if it would actually show up. Um, I, well, I'll, I'll, I'll also look, put so. your uh, <laughs> I'll also put your personal phone number for people to text you in the middle of the night on the thing. It's very nice of you. I Just kidding, that. I won't. I won't do that. All right. Well, um, if you like this, you know we're uh, I think we're on iTunes, so give us a whatever. Uh, tell us we're terrible, or tell us that you didn't mind it, or whatever. Um, we'd appreciate any of it. And uh, if you got topics and comments, questions, whatever, hit us up. Thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in to the Modem Podcast, where yesterday's modems are today's transponders. For more information or to request a topic, please visit modem.show.